0: chapter 2. So later on in the service, Mason will come and be speaking to us on this passage. But if you have your Bibles with you, please turn to Jonah chapter 2. Where we're told... Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. The Lord spoke to the fish and had vomited Jonah out upon the dry
1: land. Fitting that they have the person from Arizona preaching on one of the hottest days here. (laughs) Now, When you go through struggles and hardships, who do you turn to? Who do you lean on for support? Do you have coping mechanisms to really get your way through it? And where do you find joy in these times? This January through April, if I'm honest, was one of the hardest seasons of my life. I went through many things like family passing, heartbreak, injury, and anxiety. And all these things were stacked on each other. And I struggled every day. I didn't want to go to class. But this is where I found the answers to those questions I just asked. And two weeks ago, Matthew started our series in Jonah. And he, he was going through a much similar time, Jonah was. And he was in a tough situation, <laughs> alone, in the abyss, in despair. So this might sound weird, but I want you to close your eyes. And imagine with me what Jonah was going through. A prophet of God. He heard God's message, and he proclaimed it. And then God calls you to give you a message to your rivals, to Nineveh, when they're finally at their weakest, at their their lowest point. And you really do not want to do this, so you desire to flee from the Lord. So much so that you go to the closest dock on Joppa, and you find a ship that is going in the furthest direction away from Nineveh, the place God called you to go. So while on the ship, a terrifying storm picks up, and you realize this might be the end for you. And the sailors all around you, determined to find the solution to the colossal problem, they're desperate to save themselves and the boat, search for the probable cause. And they find you, fast asleep, deep in the ship. And you finally confess and admit what you have done. And so this, the sailors toss you overboard into the sea and you start to go down into the sea, where surely you'll take your last breath. When all of a sudden, a large fish appears, approaches and swallows you whole, and surely this is where your time has come to end. You may even make terms with death, questioning every decision you have ever made, beginning to feel guilt, shame, fear, frustration, loneliness and despair. And you think, if only someone was here to comfort me. You feel alone with thoughts buzzing in your head. And you finally come to realize God has given you the slightest taste of your original wish to escape and flee from the Lord. And so you turn to the only thing left, the only option, and that's God through prayer. And that's where we pick up in Jonah 2. So you can open your eyes if you did close them. (laughs) So in Jonah 2, He turns and remembers the Lord. He finally repents. He acknowledges attributes and characteristics of God. And so we see in verse 1, it says, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. So right here we can see, even though he was still in the belly of the fish, he knew that it was just enough to cry out to God. When was the last time you cried out to God in faith? And we can see in verse 2 that he proclaimed God's name. It says, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. And so we, hear, we see here that it says that God is a God who answers. He's a God who moves and is active. Now, think back. How many times has God answered our prayers? And have we remembered that? And we also see that it's a God who, who listens and a God who sees. And I can't help but think of Genesis 16. And for those of you who don't have that memorized, that's when Hagar is in the desert. And she's, she's fleeing from Abraham and or Abram and Sarai. And she calls out to God and God answers. And she says, El Roy, which means it's a God who sees. He's a God who sees. And I believe this is just what Jonah went through. He knew that God was El Roy, a God who sees. Now, have you ever felt alone? Just just wondering if is anyone there? Are you even listening? How comforting it is it that the Lord is El Roy, a God who sees and listens to me, even amidst my affliction. And then in verse 3, Jonah understands the reason he's there. It's not it's not because of the sailors. That, that dumped him into the sea, but it was God's will. And he then acknowledges God's power and control over the winds and waves. And I, I think this is exactly what the disciples understood personally and experienced in Matthew 8, where the Lord completely calmed the storm, showing his power and control in rebuking it. Now, have you surrendered control to where it belongs? To the one who controls the wind and the waves? I think so often we hold on to control, just holding on and not letting go. And we can see then in verse four, Jonah's deepest pain. It's, it's not that he was in the sea and he had to swim a little bit or that he got eaten by a fish, any of this calamity he just went through. But it's the separation from the Lord, his very wish that he wanted originally. But it then says that he he turned to the holy temple, he said, it says, Yet I shall look, again look upon your holy temple. And so this holy temple was in Jerusalem. And this is, this is where he was made right. And he simply remembered the Lord and turned to him. And do you turn to the Lord after running away from him? I think so often we try to hide our guilt and shame and say, No, it's okay. I, I ran away. I don't want that. I don't want you to see that. And I think as Jonah did, we should also turn to the Holy Temple, to Jerusalem, or maybe just outside of that, where Jesus died on the cross for our sins. Where in faith, from Jesus' sacrifice, we can approach the heavenly Jerusalem. And we can see this again in verse 7. He, he repeats it, it must be important. It's, he remembers the Lord and the Holy Temple. I think so often, we get, we get so involved with what we're doing, our jobs, And we forget the Lord. Maybe we make ourselves so busy. We simply do not spend time remembering the Lord. And all of his faithfulness. And we create idols by prioritizing other things other than God. And in verse 8 he acknowledges this. He's saying those who disobey create idols in their hearts. Idols of of pride where they they think they, they might know better than what God wants in their lives. That they want control over things. And finally, in verse 9, this is where it turns around. It's where he begins with a, a voice of thanksgiving, sacrificing to God, and he then said, salvation belongs to the Lord. And I imagine this as he was yelling it in the belly of the fish, where he's saying, salvation belongs to the Lord. He, he's finally understanding it. He's, he's putting the puzzle pieces together and he's understanding it at a personal level. The, the very fact that Jonah was alive was the sign of salvation, that he just went through all of these things that most people would just die, but God saved him. And this is where Jonah answered the questions that I asked right at the beginning of, who does he rely on? Who does he turn to? Where does he find victory and joy? And this reminds me so much of Exodus 17, where Moses was up on the hill fighting the Amalekites with Joshua down below. And every time that Moses had his hands raised with his staff in his hands, the Lord gave the advantage over the Amalekites. And finally, they beat the Amalekites, and Moses built an altar on the hill. And he wrote, Yahweh Nisi, the Lord is my banner. And and this was Moses' victory cry. This is what he shouted out in victory. And now I think it would be such a mistake if we don't point to the most important victory cry of them all that was also on a hill. But instead of their hands up, they're stretched out wide on Calvary where Jesus was nailed to the cross and yelled out, Tetelestai, it is finished. And this is where the Lord is ultimately our salvation. This is where ultimately salvation belongs to the Lord. And this is the banner that we should wave around This is Jesus' name, where it literally means Jehovah is salvation. Does that sound familiar? (laughs) Jesus is where we should turn to and remember. See, the Lord is our salvation, and this is through Christ alone. And because the Lord is our salvation, we should turn to him. And I I think verse 10 creates a great conclusion to chapter 2 and a new beginning for chapter 3 where the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah up, out upon the dry land, where he commanded the fish and he showed his control and power of, over all things once again. And this is in verse uh, chapter one, verse 17. It says, Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. That's also pointing to Jesus, the foreshad- foreshadowing the death and resurrection of Jesus. And I, I believe that, chapter two is not just a prayer that that Jonah had, but it also gives us three things that Jonah did that we as Christians should do as well. And they all have to do with repentance after running away from where God wanted us to go. And that's number one, cry out to the Lord. Number two, praise the Lord. And number three, look to the Lord. So number one, cry out to the Lord. This is, this is best and most important when we feel alone in the abyss. When we feel like no one is there, we have to remember that God is, that we can cry out to him. This is similar that we can see in books of the Bible like uh, David and Psalms and then Job and Jeremiah. Now, imagine you're in this massive hole or this pit or uh, empty well and you're down there and you're, you're looking up. Would you just be silent wanting to get out? Or would you cry out for help, asking for anyone to come and help you? Why don't we do that with God? And, and there's a quote from someone that is not Spurgeon for the first time ever. It's a pastor in Arizona. It says, The first thing that many of us lose sight of when the going gets tough is the very thing needed to keep us on course. And that very thing is God. He's a God who hears and sees us. He's El Roy, He's a God who answers us and is our salvation. Why would we not cry out to him? And earlier, I shared about the tough season that I went through this year. And I'm not going to say this to make me sound better or holier, but it's a testimony of God's goodness from my weakness. During the season, I cried out to the Lord every morning, Lord, give me strength just to make it through the day. I can't do this on my own. And he did. He was with me every step of the way. Whenever I was weak, He strengthened me. He heard me, and He saw me. And each day He gave me exactly what I needed, not just what I wanted, but what I needed. And we need to start being vulnerable and crying out to God, even and especially in our weakness. And we shouldn't just do this in the highs of highs or the lows of lows. We need to also, number two, praise the Lord. This is using your, your gifts, talents, and abilities to praise the Lord and bring glory to him. And you might be thinking, what are those? What, what is that? We all have them. This can be uh, your jobs, your work, whatever that might look like. Because your work is your worship. And I think a, a great example is in 1 Thessalonians 5 where many people ask, "Like, what does God want me to do? What is the will of God? And it clearly answers it right here. It says, verse 16, Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. It says it right there. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. We should praise the Lord at all times. And I think this one is something that's very hard for a lot of us. That it's so much easier to grumble and complain about different things. But that's, what th- th- that's the opposite of what we should do. We need to praise the Lord. And during my difficult season, one of my friends challenged me. He said, every night, I want, I'm going to buy you a journal and you're going to write down every single thing that you're thankful for. And maybe just start with five minutes and you're just going to write every single thing that pops in your head. And you're going to see, number one, that you're thankful for a lot more than you realize when you stop and think And number two, it also shifts your perspective. Because either our view of God influences our circumstance, or we let our circumstance influence our view of God. But I want to also challenge you this as well. Maybe just start with one week. For one week, get a journal. Maybe you have to go to the store and buy one. But write down everything you're thankful for. And this can be anything. But when you go back and look at what you wrote from like a year ago, you can really see how faithful God was and the impact he's had in our lives. And I wanted to share a short excerpt from one of mine. On March 11th, I wrote, I don't know how long I can stand up to these things that come my way, but I will lean on you. Thank you for being my strength and my fortress, for putting people in my life, like my friend Gavin, to support me. And then I listed many random things like birds, the weather, even salami. See, God wants and deserves our praise. And finally, number three, we should look to the Lord. We should remember him, just as Jonah did. He turned to the Lord. He cried out in prayer, looking to that holy temple. And he looked to the Lord because that's where his salvation comes from. And we need to also do this. Look to the, look to the Lord, to Jesus, where our salvation comes from, from the sacrifice he made on the cross. And looking to the Lord, that that means stop looking at whatever we want to look at and whatever we're doing, especially if we're in disobedience. But it's turning around and being obedient and surrendering to what God wants us. And in uh, the New Testament, we can see the word repentance. And this actually comes from uh, a word in the military for the Roman soldiers. When they're in the legion of many of them, they'd be walking one direction. And when someone yelled out, repent, they would all turn 180 and walk the other way. And this is what we should do when when we're going in the wrong direction of where God wants us. We need to repent and look towards the Lord. It's saying, even if I don't want to, God, you say I should do it, and that alone is enough. That the love you poured out for your people through Jesus is more than enough to compel me to obedience. And maybe practically this looks like looking what God has to say in the Bible, his word. What would it look like if you woke up just 15 minutes earlier and you start your day off with scripture? You looking to the Lord. We can see from the story of Jonah, God's character and some of his attributes. And we can see that even after times of disobedience, we can come back to the Father with a repenting heart. And we must, one, cry out to the Lord. And two, Praise the Lord at all times. And three, look to the Lord. Now let's stand and worship the Lord of our salvation.